Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray and Anna Chizinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Andy. My fact is that Pompeii's new drain system is 2,300 years old. (laughs) Yeah, so this is uh, in Pompeii. They have a set of storm drains underneath the city that were several metres down, so they weren't really affected when Vesuvius hit. And well, I don't think any storm drain would have been able to drain away <laughs> the lava from Vesuvius. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, but the, yeah, so there's this system which is they're 450 meters long. They're quite big, so if you're a human, you can crawl along it without oh. too much discomfort. Right. And it turns out they've been looked into. And they're so clean and empty and well built that they're going to be used again. That's for modern Pompeii, and they're looking yeah. into another stretch of 500 meters of drains just to see if we can open those up as well. Um, so this kind of system is for taking water that comes out of rivers or comes from the air and taking it down to the sea. Yeah. It's not so much for sewage, right? Right, yes. because this is what the Roman sewers were all about. If you had a toilet in your house, it would probably go into a cesspit. It wouldn't be attached to the sewage oh. system. Every now and then they could do, but the problem was there was no grating between the sewer and your toilet. And so if you had a toilet and you attached it to the sewer, everything could come the other way as well as you said. <laughs> ah, it up. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's great. So that's why we know so much about their eating habits, because they were just sitting in these cesspits. Yeah. Because they, they had bizarre <laughs> menus. Like, we've discovered things that they ate there that include sea urchin, flamingo, and the only example of a giraffe leg in all of ancient Rome is found in Pompeii. Wow. I think it's the shops that they found. Did they not look at the shops in Pompeii and they found all that stuff? What do you mean they had it in the shop? So we, there's a shop front with a giraffe leg not a shop on the window, front. in the window. So um, <laughs> obviously everything was kind of preserved quite well in mm-hmm. Pompeii, right? Because of the, the old volcano yeah, the old thing. Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they did a survey of 20 shops shops near Pompeii's gates and they looked at what was in the shops that was preserved and they found like Dan says the shellfish and the giraffe bone and also um, spices that came all the way from Indonesia oh wow wow because actually, when, if you reflect on it, it would have been weird if they'd found a full giraffe leg in the sewer that someone had excreted <laughs> yeah. out, wouldn't it? That would have been a painful session. That's a hell of a log, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Good point. They um, did used to be terrified of things leaping back up, didn't they? Mm. And there used to be um, rumours that there were demons that would jump up from the sewers. Or giraffes. And get them. Or giraffes. <laughs> <laughs> giraffes with only a leg remaining. And, um, yeah, I think rats would crawl up quite often. Yeah. So. There is one story, and this is from, I think, about the first century AD. There was an author called Alien. Uh, alien. Uh, it's an A-E-L-I-A-N, all right? He was not an alien. He was a Roman historian, a very sure? serious guy. We're not certain. <laughs> um, but basically, all of these cesspit toilets that James has just mentioned, they were kept in the kitchen quite frequently of the house. So you'd literally have the hob, and then next to it, you'd just have a little wooden toilet seat, and you'd just do your business That's there. convenient. If you're in the middle of cooking a risotto and you can't step away for too long, it's very convenient. And I think a lot of people who have flats in London can really empathise with this. <laughs> I was going to say, in my flat, the flat I used to live in, the toilet is basically in the kitchen. As well, in, it's at the end of the kitchen and the door's never closed. Right, well, that's d- disgusting. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Why is the door? That's your decision not to close that door. 
<laughs> it actually is quite annoying because when you close the door, you can't open the fridge to access the freezer. It's a really silly built system. It's quite toilet- a bad design. Sorry, if you close the toilet door, you can't open your own fridge. <laughs> the door handle gets in the way. It was a cock up in the construction right. process that no one's ever remedied. Okay, so, right, it's just stepping away from Anna's horrible, horrible life for a minute. <laughs> this, this author, Alien, he wrote about a merchant in a city because the, they were all suspect. They didn't really have traps. You know, they didn't have any barrier. Yeah. Uh, so there was one merchant, wealthy Iberian merchant living in a city, and every night there was this giant octopus that would swim up his toilet and it would come out into the kitchen and eat all the pickled fish that this he had in the pantry. Sounds like nonsense. This it's is true. Bullshit. It's true. This is the story he wrote. Obviously, it may not be completely true. And also, it's written by Alien. <laughs> just in Pompeii so we're finding out a lot more about it at the moment because archaeologists keep digging up new things and one thing they've just discovered quite recently is that Pompeian red which is the walls are all if you go there it's beautiful stunning red what well, turns out that's the wrong color a lot of that was yellow and it was as a result of the gases from the volcano Ooh. that it changed the color so a lot of Pompeii was red but not as much as it is now. Well, that's like much of the rest of Pompeii doesn't have any colour on it anymore. So I think in the amphitheatre, it used to be covered in stunning frescoes and sort of pictures of bullfights and chariot races and gladiators fighting each other. And when it was excavated in 1815, so they excavated it and that had all been perfectly preserved Mm. for almost 2,000 years. And within a few months, it completely vanished because as soon as it was being eroded and destroyed by frost and stuff, Mm. no trace of it was left. So after 2,000 years... You just lift the lid on it and it goes away. I have a fact about the amphitheatre. Mm-hmm. The Pompeii men were so rowdy fighting the neighbours in their nearby town that their amphitheatre got closed down for 10 years as a punishment. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you mean like hooliganism and yeah, stuff? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Really? Imagine that, t- a 10-year ban from all sports. Yeah. It's wow. quite a lot. It's your dream, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the amphitheatres, what would they been watching? I, th- I assume oh, yeah, it was people, like gladiatorial people killing each other. <laughs> okay, right. yeah, right. yeah, you're you not going to behave, but you're not going to watch people murder each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're only allowed to murder each other in one place yeah. in the town. Yeah. Whenever you go and watch a sport, you don't automatically start doing that sport <laughs> in the terraces, <laughs> yeah. do you? You don't go to the horse race and then you turn around and all the crowd are on horses. <laughs> Every time I watch stand-up with Dan, he gets up in the middle of the audience and starts reciting his eight-year-old jokes. It's really awkward. <laughs> When you say eight-year-old jokes, you mean jokes that an eight-year-old will be proud of? Oh. No, they're jokes exclusively about eight-year-olds. That's all about material. So, do you know what people did when the volcano first erupted? So there was one day where it was raining small rocks from the sky, and oh. it, was a, it was, you know, clearly something had gone on, and yeah. there had been an eruption. Did they go to the um, volcano and look at it, like, rubberneck it? Ooh, I don't, I don't think so, but the main thing that people did to protect themselves was to tie pillows onto their heads oh, <laughs> and they yeah. just walked around with pillows on their heads all day how clever exactly. and then a lot of people actually got away most most people who lived in the town escaped yeah uh, and then the next morning the pyroclastic flow came which was thousands of miles an hour i think and that just blasted anyone who was still left in there but no did people... pillow could do anything no, no. <laughs> the biggest pillow in the world could have protected you from that <laughs> You know how we've got the famous plaster casts that uh, of yeah. people, so you've seen them, you've been, haven't you, Dan? Yes, and yeah. There's a famous shape, so the ash-covered bodies, and yeah. then there's a big hole where the body used to be. But there's not just plaster casts of the bodies of the people, there's also plaster casts of the plants. So this is wow. just a secondary, very wow. exciting thing that no one talks about.
talks about. But basically, it's a really good way of finding out what they were growing in their gardens because as well as covering the people, the ash covered kind of all the plants and the trees and the herbs and stuff. And it got into their root systems. Mm. And then the roots disintegrate and they poured plaster in when they excavated. And now they've got a perfect plaster cast of the root systems of Pompeii. That's so cool. That's really really cool. cool. Although... I can understand why they went for the humans first. <laughs> <laughs> it was so clever, just making those, just discovering a hole and realising this is a person-shaped hole. Do you think so? Is, would you not think if you saw a hole that was in the shape of a person, you would know immediately that it was? Or No, I, well, no. I guess if I was just digging downwards, I wouldn't automatically think this is shaped like a person. I guess it's how quickly you You're discover right, it. actually, because hmm. I'm kind of imagining, do you remember that game show, Hole in the Wall, where celebrities yes. had to make a shape and the, the shape of the body would come towards them? Yeah. It wouldn't be quite as obvious as that, would it? I guess not, because you're excavating a whole <laughs> plane of rubble and dash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good game show. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's quite a dangerous place to go to Pompeii still um, yeah for one bizarre reason which is if you walk in the wrong spot you might be blown up by a World War II bomb so <laughs> it's unexploded bombs so this was in 1943 the Allied forces had rumours come out that there was a lot of Nazis huddling up in Pompeii because oh, they... actually I was going to say what's the point of bombing a place which has already been destroyed by a <laughs> volcano yes. it seems a bit like overkill yeah. doesn't it so that's what they thought they thought the Germans were there so wow. these were rumours so they went over and they dropped 165 bombs oh. over Pompeii uh, exploding a lot of stuff um, but Nazis is... just had pillows on their heads <laughs> <laughs> um, 8 to 10% of bombs that were dropped during the war are said to be unexploded when they land yeah. in a spot so um, they actually have found a few while excavating looking wow. for humans they suddenly come across oh that's a bit bomb shaped <laughs> um, and... bomb shaped oh. people back then weren't they <laughs> presumably there weren't any Nazis hiding there so did they just drop a bunch of bombs? It was completely they? wrong. Yeah, it was completely right. wrong. There was a few. Uh, there was a few things like there was artillery and a few mm. tanks, but they definitely weren't people. It wasn't a camp. So yeah, so they found a few, but they expect that there's about ten in total oh. uh, to find, and so they're finding it in all the spots that are not open to the public. They're sort of the areas mm. that they're now excavating. There is a link between the bombings of Pompeii and the eruption at Pompeii happened on the same day and in the really? same place. And in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really? At the yep. same... Really? 24th of August. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if that was chosen as a like, tribute act <laughs> to the volcano. I suspect not. I suppose, though, all you can take from that data is don't go to Pompeii on the 24th of August. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, just because uh, you mentioned bombs, mm. and to take it quickly back to latrines, they used to explode sometimes. So people in Pompeii were used to the old explosion. So they could explode up your bottom. You'd be sitting on the opening. So you've probably seen the latrines in ancient Rome where you'd have public latrine and you'd sit on this hole and it was that keyhole shaped hole mm. so you had a little uh, a bigger opening near the bottom so you could get your sponge brush in so you could wipe your bum with it but sometimes there'd be an explosion that would come up through that hole and that was because of the mixture of methane and hydrogen sulfide which caused explosions yeah you could always wear a pillow on your bottom whenever you go to the toilet (laughs) (laughs) remind me not to come and stay at your place it's all right i've left a mint on your pillow Oh, God. Um, and also these public toilets, it was like 20 at a time, wasn't it? Mm. There was loads of people there, and there was basically, there was no privacy. It wasn't like cubicles or anything like this. No. Uh, but you didn't really need it because you were wearing a toga. 
So you could hide your shame by <laughs> covering yourself in a toga. Yeah, because we have this impression that they really didn't care. And I guess, they, I don't think they did care about privacy nearly as much as people did subsequently. But uh, there is one latrine that's been found with a revolving door, or what we think was a revolving wow. door, that uh, was the entrance Anna, to you it. you could do with what? one of those next to your fridge, couldn't you? <laughs> if only. Uh, this is actually based on like a, a hole in the ground, which yeah. they think they put a pole in and wow. a door would just spin. Because what people were doing when it was a normal door was just leaving the door wide open because it stank like shit in there right. and they wanted to aerate it but then people could just look in and so they included a revolving door so you couldn't leave it open but revolving doors we've said before they keep air in very effectively so it would have smelled worse yeah it probably would have smelled worse but you couldn't leave it open you were just stuck right. with the smell but mm. at least you had your privacy okay okay mm. you've got to make a sacrifice sure yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna have to move on in a sec to our next fact have you heard of unblocktober on, or you go around that. unblocking people's toilets as a, ch- a charity service? Uh, is it that you just don't eat meat so your um, stools are not quite as heavy? <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> is that why people are vegetarian? <laughs> sick of the heavy stools. <laughs> Shout out a right giraffe leg the other day. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, guys, it's to stop fatbergs and to stop um... the, to, the whole sewage systems from being blocked up. So they send you a resource pack for your workplace and home and <laughs> And they advise you about how to improve the country's sewers. And basically, it's all things like not putting uh, oil down the sink. Because when the oil clumps together in the sewers, it creates a fatberg and it creates a nightmare. And they send you a list of things not to throw down the, the sink or the toilet. Like nappies, which I would have thought was quite obvious. But uh, right. wet wipes and condoms and cotton buds and butter. <laughs> they, they, butter is one of their things. Who's never... putting butter down the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> no one is, are they? No. The only reason I could think of that is if you're buttering yourself up because you want to slip down there yourself. <laughs> to go and retrieve that wet wipe you accidentally <laughs> dropped in. <laughs> Okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that there is a factory in Iran that makes 2,000 US, British and Israeli flags every month specifically for people to burn. Wow. This is... How quickly after buying them are you allowed to burn it? Well, I don't think there are any rules in Iran against burning US flags. (laughs) I think it's positively encouraged. Um, But this was a report last month by AP, Associated Press, which was in all the newspapers afterwards. And basically, it's about this factory in a town that looks like it could be called Kamen, but I think it's probably called Hamin or something like that. Um, But it's in Iran, and um, they have workers who work really diligently adding all the stars and and the stripes and everything to all these flags, even though they know that as soon as they've made them, (laughs) they're just going to be set on fire. And the guy who runs the factory has said, in recent years, the production of US flags has tripled, and what eventually happens to my products is on its end user. So he's kind of washing his hands of what happens to it afterwards. Um, but this company is called Dibba Pacham Khamein, and all I could find about them really is they have a nice Instagram channel. Do they, is, it, okay. is it burning flags? No, it's flags. <laughs> oh, okay. It's unburning flags. Okay. But no, the, I think this is what the owner's saying basically. It's not up to me what people do with mm. it. I'm not bothered. I'm just going to give you the flag. And if you want to burn it, then that's up to you. He did also say, I hope there is a day that the flags we produce are presented as a gift. Yes. Which kind of feels true, although. A lot of them are probably given as gifts today. They're just given as gifts saying, hey, I know you want something to burn at the yeah. demonstration yeah. later. 
But it's, yeah, and they make three kinds of flags. One is for display purposes. One is tablecloth flags, which is if you have a conference or something. Mm-hmm. And then the third is demonstration flags. And that really spikes on days of national holiday, for mm. example, because you want an American flag to burn on a national holiday. Okay. Yeah. So you're not supposed to burn the tablecloth ones, presumably, for instance. No, no, no. Because that ruins a dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the town where, uh, it's the town where Ayatollah Khomeini uh, was born. So that's why the town is called Common, or maybe why he was called Comini. Oh, right. Yeah, and uh, his house is now a major tourist site. But it's not, it? the, it's not the only tourist site there, because there are some caves nearby with some rock art with cup marks which may be up to 40,000 years old. Wow. What? Yeah. What's oh a cup mark? I am not completely but, sure what a okay. cup mark is. Right. So I'm always getting told off at home for putting my hot cup of tea on the table <laughs> and leaving a mark. And I'm always like, look, it'll erode eventually. It'll disappear. <laughs> but if you're telling me they're 40,000 years old, yep. Christ, they should have used a coaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny, isn't it, how people burn flags mm. and mm. find it offensive and stuff, considering that really no countries had flags until like the late 18th century. And most countries didn't have them until the late 19th and early 20th century. Mm. It's really a modern yeah. thing, the right. idea of national flags. Yeah. yeah. You would get them on boats and stuff, but as a country... Uh, quite a lot of countries are really into their flags. So there are quite a few where the red stripe signifies the blood lost in war and stuff. Yeah. And quite a lot of countries don't allow you to burn them, whereas America is fine. Well, in America, they have a day for it, June 14th. <laughs> Stop. Absolutely. It's the day that you retire flags. So okay. the idea is that you are meant to burn flags when they're yeah, over. Yeah. And there's an actual day that you can save the flag for. So if you want to burn an American flag, June 14th, that's the day. If you want to be respectful. Absolutely. If you want to offend everyone, do it any other day of the year. Yeah. The day before. Yeah. <laughs> they do say in the flag code, don't they? The US has a flag code. And they say how to dispose of it, which is in a dignified way, uh, preferably by burning. But there are a lot Lots of other sites and lots of other companies which advise further on exactly how you should burn it. Mm. And so places like the Boy Scouts or flag sellers or the newspapers will say, what you've got to do is you've got to fold your flag up very carefully, mm. place it in the very middle of a fire, recite the Pledge of Allegiance and then observe a minute silence Blimey. as it burns. The flag sellers say, and you must do that on the day after you buy it and then buy another one immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of flag disposal boxes? No. no. These are a thing in America. They are specific boxes for your old flags that have become worn or weathered. And you drop them in there, and every so often a Boy Scout will come around and he'll open it up, take all, all the flags out, and then burn them. It's like a flag Respectfully. Coffin. It's like a flag co- And they have these in supermarkets. That's how oh. big the flag is in so the it's USA. Like basically, like recycling, you have your clear glass and your brown glass, <laughs> and then your flag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's so specific a thing yeah. to have. Yeah, you very wouldn't weird. think it would be nice. You'd think there could be one collection day a year where someone just goes around <gasps> saying, "How many flags Mate, have we got through this Mate, year?" Mate, there are so many flags. <laughs> there are so many flags in America. It's like wine bottles here. We have the huge pile of wine bottles at the end of the week. They've just got. I can't believe we went through so many flags this week. Do you get a bit embarrassed putting out all these flags and all your neighbours seeing? Oh God, really went crazy last week. Oh, we had a flag party. We had a flag party. You've got a flag problem, mate. <laughs> It did used to be illegal to burn the American flag, didn't it? For quite a brief time. It? So it was in 1968 when people were getting quite into it during Vietnam, quite oh, into yeah. burning the flag in protest. And it was made federal law that you couldn't do it. And then in 1989, there was a guy called Gregory Lee Johnson who burned a flag. It was like an anti-Reagan and anarchist sort of protest. And he said he should be allowed to burn it. It was violating his free speech, his freedom of speech, that he couldn't express himself by doing that. And he won. It was a quite a famous case, the Texas versus Johnson case. 
He won, and since 1989, it's been completely fine to burn the flag. And what I found interesting was he's still going, and in tw- in, he's still doing the same thing. He's still flag burning all over America. And in 2016, he, this guy, Gregory Lee Johnson, was arrested during a staged flag burning at the Republican National Convention in wow. Cleveland. Wow. And the reason he was arrested, because obviously you can't be arrested for burning a flag, is that police said that he lit his pants on fire. And there's and the, <laughs> Come on. Is that illegal? And he's like, illegal. No, I didn't. And they went, liar, liar. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just want to say in Gregory Lee Johnson's defense, and again, it's all the news reports at the time, he didn't light himself or anyone else on fire. This was just like classic US police bullshit. And he actually got compensation of $225,000. Hang on, Anna. Did the Boy Scouts burn flags to dispose of them between 1960? Whatever it was, 1969 and yeah, 1989. They must have done. That's there must have been a loophole. Yeah. So it wasn't for the purposes of dis- that was sort of allowed. It must have been, unless maybe they had an enormous flag pile up and didn't know. I what mean, to there do might be them. a prison still with thousands of scouts in it. We <laughs> 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 were all put away for life sentences. Come on, they would have been able to get out of those scouts. <laughs> <laughs> They've been trained. <laughs> this one, this badge is for escaping Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick thing on um, flags and protesting. Have you guys heard of the Danish protest pig? No. No. This is a pig that was basically bred in protest to the fact that during the Prussian rule in Denmark, there was bits of Denmark that were told they were not allowed to raise their flags. So they bred a pig that had the exact colors of the flag as a sort of walking flag. Yeah, oh. red and white yeah. is the colours of the flag, right? Yeah, exactly. I, it's probably kind of pinky and white if it's a pig, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like a flag when okay. you see the pig. I've seen <laughs> pictures, but it obviously was just symbolic about it. But yeah, that's that, amazing. Yeah, it's just a, a nice little screw you. To... It's a relatively simple flag to replicate, I guess. As yes. opposed to if the... you were the Seychelles flag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very hard to be really difficult. Yeah. What's the Seychelles flag? It's just got lots of colours on it. Right, got it. Thank you. Everyone laughed as if they all knew the Seychelles flag. I, did, I know. I was, that was, I was guilty, guilty as I just assumed it would be a... Um, why would he pick it? <laughs> You've got to ask that. You can't do the knowing laugh. The people what? at home will be thinking, shit, maybe I should know the Seychelles flag, and they'll be hating themselves. And then they'll look it up and laugh their ass off when they realise... It's like lots of... It's almost like rays of light coming up from the bottom corner, and they're all different colours. Yeah, James, we've got one on the wall right here, a massive Seychelles flag. Why do you think... That's why we're, where we're recording from this week. Oh, so and it's facing the wrong direction. <laughs> that's the one we're going to burn after the show. That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so another thing... We which people use for protesting against America Mm -hmm. is shoes. Do you remember this? Mm. This um, kind of started, or one of the first people to do this was an Iraqi reporter called Muntaze Al-Zaidi, and he threw both of his shoes at George W. Bush in 2008. And it was quite good for one person, and that was the maker of his shoes. (laughs) (laughs) He could then start selling them as special bye-bye Bush models. Amazing. Um, Did did they come with grips so you could throw them better if George (laughs) W. Bush visited you? Uh, They were just the same shoes but they just renamed them okay and in fairness to him the brother of the guy who threw the shoes said that actually he bought iraqi made shoes and this company who was selling the bye-bye bush ones was a turkish company and apparently there was also a syrian company who were claiming that they made the shoes um, but the turkish ones was the one that took off and they had to get a whole lot of new workers in to make shoes because they were selling so many <laughs> and yeah the, he said that he saw it on tv and he said i know that shoe anyway that's definitely <laughs> one of mine i wonder if people retrieve the shoes afterwards because it's not like burning something once you've thrown your shoe at someone do you then go and pick it up no. and put it back oh, on yeah. so do you know what happened to the shoes 
Ooh, to the no. ones thrown at George yeah. Bush. Yeah. Were, they, were they taken by the Secret Service? They were, but what did the Secret Service do to <clears> them? Put them in Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> <laughs> Waterboard them. <laughs> You will talk. <laughs> You've got a tongue. You will talk. <laughs> um, no, they were, and it's exactly what we're talking about with flags. They were burned. Oh, God. Oh, so that is one of the reasons why this Turkish company and the Syrian company and the Iraqi company could all say that they made them because okay. they'd been burned, so no one knew exactly what they were. Were they burned respectfully by a Boy Scout who had done up the laces first, <laughs> tied them neatly? <laughs> Double knots. Not the, yeah. <laughs> um... There's a record. There is a record for the biggest flag, which is also a pizza. So, I <laughs> of course, what. there is. <laughs> but so was right. it flap? It has to flap to be a flag. This was actually just on a table. This was a tablecloth. Yeah. It was the Stars and Stripes pizza, which they made with mozzarella and then dyed mozzarella. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheesy. I think you need to find a blue food. <laughs> they really tried, and they just couldn't do blue, it. Blue M and M's. Blue M and M's. I think for the pe- people who were ending up eating the pizza, they thought we can't put them through that. But that was small. It was quite small. It was nine feet by four feet. It was the size of the overall flag slash pizza. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That doesn't shock me that no one else has thought to make a pizza flag. <laughs> it's <laughs> an easily breakable record, though, if you're looking to break a record. That's what I'm saying. Know. Yeah. And go for a flag, which is quite easy to do. Yeah, not the Seychelles. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the lowing now, because we've all learned. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the old word for intestines was arse ropes. <laughs> Are we so, trying to bring it back? I, I love it. I think it's, yeah, I think... I it's would, evocative, isn't it? Yeah, the only yeah. issue is I don't talk about my intestines that much, so it'd sort of be a wasted swap. If they were called arse ropes, you might. I yeah. might bring them into every conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when was this? This was in the 14th century. Uh, so there's, there's a great instance of it being included in the Wycliffe Bible, which was one of the first modern translated English versions of the Bible by a guy called John Wycliffe, I believe his name was. Yeah. No, Wycliffe Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I've, I've heard that what? name. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. might be right. He's right, I think. Yeah. There, there is a link between John Wycliffe and Wycliffe. No. no. Is there? Yeah. Wycliffe Sean was named after John Wycliffe. Was he? No. <laughs> Yeah, there's a tweet of him online saying, my father named me after John Wycliffe, the biblical scholar. That's amazing. I know. (laughs) But I don't know why you'd reverse the names, John Wycliffe and Wycliffe Jean. Well, maybe his surname was Jean. His surname happened to be Jean. They thought this is an opportunity we can't miss. (laughs) I can't think of any other biblical scholars. Martin Luther. Was Martin Luther King named after Martin Luther? He must have been. Yeah. Yeah. I think people would have been called that because he was such a famous heroic figure. Yeah. Well, so was John Wycliffe. He was so, great. Look, so was Wycliffe Jean. Arse ropes Wycliffe. <laughs> um. Anyway, I think it was used to mean rectum, right? Um, specifically. Or I think that I, I read an encyclopedia from a couple of hundred years ago that was saying it was used to mean rectum. And then they sort of referred to the whole gut as being one continuous thing, which it is in mm. a way. And the end of it, the end of the large intestine, the rectum, was what they said for arse ropes. And then they oh. called the small intestines the small ropes. But it wasn't a rope. I mean, it's... It's not a rope, your bottom. You can see, you can see, you know, if you open someone up, you can see the ropes inside them of yeah. their intestines. It's just so strange that they use that to mean your your backside. Well, it's a, you know, it's still a tube. Yeah, I guess so. You're both yeah. making really good points. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more ass words from the olden days that oh, are yeah. obsolete. Ass pos was an obsolete word for a heavy fall on the buttocks. Mm. Pos. Ass pos. Mm. Ass pos. Nice. Uh, and arse winning was the money earned by prostitution. An Golly. Obsolete word. 
Okay. Ah, bring those back. That's good. So Pratt was also talking about your bum and your hip, Mm -hmm. and I really, yeah, I'd never known that. So Prattfall is off because of that. Did not know that. I'd never read that. When you call someone a Pratt, you're saying they're they're an ass. Yeah, Mm. or a hip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. could be, could be. Um, (laughs) So just quickly, one more thing on John Wycliffe. Yes. So he was kind of a proto-Reformation person because he was an English scholar of the Bible, but he also disagreed with a lot of standard Catholic church practices like selling indulgences Mm -hmm. and praying to saints instead of just to God or to Christ. And he was really unpopular in Rome for all these reasons. Mm. So he died in 1384, really soon after his version of the Bible in English was published. And then there was this church meeting called the Council of Constance, which was 40-odd years later, and they were so annoyed with him still at this church meeting <laughs> that they declared he should be dug up and his bones should be burned and then thrown into the nearest river. No. And it was done. But was it done respectfully? Or? <laughs> it was done very, very disrespectfully. Wow. And they, that, that's harsh. I know, this is harsh. That Council of Constance, just quickly, they only met because there was a really embarrassing church situation where there were three popes at the same time. <laughs> That is a bureaucratic cock-up, isn't it? <laughs> it's a sitcom rating yeah. to be written. <laughs> yeah, there were two from 1378 onwards, and that was a bit embarrassing. And then in 1409, player three entered the game, <laughs> was pretending to be the Pope. So one of them was, at least one of them was a pretender. Yeah, so the council met to resolve this matter, and they did, but they also said, well, let's dig up. Wycliffe while we're about while we're, while we're all meeting while we're here as a bonding thing maybe <laughs> um, on intestines yeah yes. the quite famous fact the small intestines what's the surface area oh it's something like a tennis court or a tennis court it's not yeah. a tennis court wow that's what you get, get taught at school all the time right the small intestines has this incredible surface area because it's covered in the little filly um, lumps and bumps and it's very windy and you're always told it's got the surface area of a tennis court or a football pitch mm. and then a few years ago scientists realised no one's ever actually properly measured this so they bothered to measure the surface area of the intestines and yeah. it was a bunch of Swedish scientists and they actually worked out it's only 40 square metres which is half the size of a badminton court mm. sorry guys pretty small wow that is small yeah I mean it's still quite big to squeeze inside <laughs> yeah, what is quite is. a relatively small body but that's true um, they did think for a while and I've not actually seen this disproven that Russian people and Japanese people had longer intestines than anyone else okay okay Why? so what it was they measured some intestines back in the olden days and they found that the Russian intestines were about five feet longer on average than anyone else in Europe And we think that probably the reason was is because they had quite a small sample size. And actually, your intestines, different people have different lengths. And that is, you know, they're quite different in size. Uh, And they think probably they just got lucky that they got some Russians with big intestines. But they blamed it on economic conditions, saying that they lived on a vegetarian diet. And so they needed to grow longer intestines so they could eat all these vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Then, on the other hand, in Japan, there is a theory thought by Japanese people that Japanese people have longer intestines. Okay, and I saw this really good article, shame on me, I can't remember where it was, where this person looked into this, and they surveyed a load of Japanese students, and 65% of them believed that Japanese people had longer intestines. And four of the people who they asked said that they were exactly 1.5 times anyone else in the world. They had this belief, it's like a myth there. Mm. But then this guy asked an actual doctor, and this doctor said it's kind of known in the field of, you know, cutting people up, um, that if you get 
young Asian women, they have extremely long intestines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I just can't find any actual evidence of people other than these people actually measuring them. So for all I know, it's wow. true. And the idea is that if you're on a vegetarian diet or that yeah. kind of diet, you might for some reason have longer intestines. Now, obviously this does sound like bullshit. <laughs> Well, but it is it's widely thought in some parts of the world that that's true. That that's true. So koalas have really long intestines, and they yes. exclusively eat eucalyptus, and they have to break that down a lot because it's quite mm. poisonous mm. eucalyptus. But that's over millions of years, so I don't know how quickly. It doesn't take them millions no. of years to break down a bit of eucalyptus. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a lifespan. Uh, no, you are right, um, but it is definitely true that between individuals like my mm. intestines might be way longer than yours or way shorter could they test it by presumably we could get you know some japanese people some russian people one of us to swallow something indigestible maybe some chewing gum or something and then we'll time how long it takes to come out that's and one then way whoever's probably just do it through ct scans or <laughs> yeah you know just taking <laughs> dead bodies and cutting them open maybe i don't know just by <laughs> taking dead bodies and cutting <laughs> yeah. them open i would struggle to get the wherewithal to cut open a dead body <laughs> if we all tried it <laughs> Okay. I thought arranging a CT I, scan was hard enough. You know what? <laughs> I see what you're saying. You're thinking of a practical way for us to do it. Because we know some Russians, we know some Japanese people, we could try it. I thought that might that could be a first step, and then we'll think about the cadaver exhumation <laughs> if that doesn't work. Is that a thing, though, where we could race chewing gum? No. no. It's unlikely uh. to be accepted for the Olympics <laughs> 24. Yeah. <laughs> What, what, what do you mean is that a thing I, I mean it's ju- a thing I just made up is, oh, just, I was just wondering if there's a, a mean average speed of digestion right, there must be well there must be an average but yeah. people must vary I suppose well because they got five foot longer intestines yeah yeah. or but you also, might have a narrower tunnel so that might your food might be pushed along it faster or take yeah, longer yeah. to get along it and no, like just, Andy said it's not a spectator spot really is it <laughs> it's, not it's not much not. of one no, but it's fun you, at a dinner party if you had a, a little GPS tracker inside the chewing gum yeah. let's say yeah yeah um, Andy's making his way down there <laughs> yeah and you did it like a, a slalom ski route and you had it up on screens I can see that being fun and they, they actually do that sort of thing now in medicine <laughs> don't they they send trackers yeah, down through yeah. your system it's quite a common thing to swallow something and they've got a new thing which is you know how if you need to diagnose stomach issues Mm. sometimes they'll have to do an endoscopy and you'll have to actually swallow something and it's quite uncomfortable and then they'll scrape the mucus from your (sighs) stomach lining and then it'll get a sample of mucus and it'll work out what's wrong with you and now they've invented and I think it's going to be released onto the markets in the next year or two a sort of hoover which you swallow and it does that for you so it's, it's this tiny little capsule and you swallow it and it's got this amazing mechanism where it's got an opening at the top, which is clamped shut by a weird like blob of wax. But once okay. it gets down to your stomach, there's a magnet placed outside your body that triggers an electric current that melts that little wax <gasps> pellet. So it opens the sack up and then the sack can hoover up all the mucus in your stomach lining and then it'll carry it out like a little hoover bag. Wow. And then you poo it out and you return the hoover bag to the doctor. They can wow. tell you what's wrong with you. That is fucking clever it's weird that's so yeah, cool it is weird you know bees yeah mm. they have expandable rectums do they okay. yeah um, don't we all yeah very good point very good point <laughs> yep They're nothing special okay bees have extremely expandable how, well, how rectums much, how expandable can they be well bees sometimes go into the hive for the winter yeah and what they can do is they cannot have a poo for several months <laughs> Oh so some bees just stretch out their rectums between November and March. 
they just carry around all their poo inside their bums for the last four months. And then when March comes and it's spring again, <laughs> they can leave the hive and then they have a poo outside. They take an enormous copy of War and Peace or something. <laughs> they say, I'll be a couple of days. <laughs> Okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that researchers have 3D printed sex dolls for turtles. Because <laughs> <laughs> this, this is what they do. This was an article in the conversation about a researcher who was pointing out that we actually know surprisingly little about how a lot of turtles mate. And it's quite hard to study how they mate without disturbing them because you've got to go swim down with your snorkel and mask and mm. watch them. And so what they've done is they've 3D printed decoys. And so they 3D printed these two decoy females. And one of the things they were looking at was what's attractive in a female to a male turtle. So they printed one that was your yeah, average size and one that was like the very very upper end of the maximum size that a female could get to and they stick cameras on the turtles sink them to the bottom of a lake or a pond or a river and uh, see what happens and oh. it turned out the large one the big decoy got twice as many visits and five times as many mating attempts wow. Wow. medium sized that's very cool. These are map turtles, right? Yes, northern map turtles. Yeah. So they're really cool. The reason that this 3D printing exercise worked quite well is because to mate, they all gather together into a massive orgy spot. So this is every autumn, hundreds and hundreds will get together at the bottom of a lake and then they'll have sex and then they'll sort of wedge themselves under a rock so they don't float away <laughs> and they'll basically go to sleep for five months or hibernate. <laughs> and it's often under 50 centimetres of ice. So they'll just be on Whoa. the bottom. And they don't breathe. Well, they breathe through their skin. They don't breathe through their through their mouths while they're doing that. And they wake up in spring. First thing they do is mate again. So they just have a, a long hibernation <laughs> wow. sandwich where the bread is the mating. <laughs> but that's why. Was... And the filling is the sleeping. Yes. Yeah. It's a very big filling compared to the very thin slices of <laughs> mating bread. I think you stretch this analogy. <laughs> enough <laughs> I think it's willing to crack <laughs> but anyway that was why it was quite easy because you know exactly where to drop the decoys and there are plenty of them around and it's just really sad to watch have you seen the videos of the no. little guys trying to mate with the females it's just awful knowing that what, the 3D printed females yeah mm. it's just uh, not yeah. going to get anything out of it mm. There's so much awesome 3D printing stuff Ooh. that's going on. So some scientists again with uh, turtles they've been making fake uh, sea turtle eggs and then burying them on the beach can you guess why is it so that because humans sometimes go and collect eggs and try and steal them bingo oh. that's it it's to, it's to catch poachers okay wow. so you bury the fake eggs on the beach and then the poachers come along and steal the decoys along with the real eggs but the decoys have GPS trackers in so then you just map where they're all going to. Wow. And if, if like eggs from two different GPS trackers end up in the same place, you think there's your hub of poaching yeah. and you go there and make your arrests. And nice. if they accidentally eat the egg, we can then play that game that I really want to do of tracking <laughs> the intestinal race. Yeah, perfect. I like the way that these people are poaching eggs. Oh, it's yeah. Cool, isn't it? <laughs> so many people wrongly imprisoned. Exactly. Did you poach an egg? Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, d did you guys see Spy in the Wild? I actually Ooh. didn't, but it was a series that made a load of fake animals and then oh, sent okay. them into oh, animal colonies. Yeah. In the first series of it, they made a fake langur monkey, and oh, then yeah. they sent it in to you know infiltrate a real langur monkey society. And then 120 gathered around it, and they were all really freaked out by this thing. It looked exactly like one of them, but was not quite right. And then it fell over, because they were getting a bit boisterous around it, and they all went really quiet, because they thought... Oh no, we killed it. <laughs> oh no. Terry's dead. Um, and then they all were really silent and started hugging each other. 
Oh. <laughs> it's a sign of emotions spreading among this group because they yeah. thought they'd accidentally offed. How did they think they'd killed it just by staring it down? Well, they nudged it and it fell over and it didn't, <laughs> didn't move. Yeah. It's so interesting. So this was a guy, he works at the BBC or for the BBC with these programs called John Downer. And he made a series ages ago where he didn't quite do animals. He put cameras in boulders. He had boulder cam, basically. And they thought that worked so well. Why don't we try and make animatronic animals? So they did a prairie dog. Uh, they did a walking crocodile. They did a female orangutan. And with each one, they gave them a very specific trait that would help them survive in the wild. So like the prairie dogs, the animals, have they kiss each other a lot. And so they have that ability to do that. And there's a thing called the jump yip, which is a way of bonding. And so they were able to make this do a cool. jump yip. Yeah, so they took all these traits. Um, yeah, there was a spy pufferfish that they used. It's an incredible There was series. a meerkat smeared in feces. That's right. That's because they try to make it smell like the other meerkats by collecting their poo and then smearing the animatronic one oh. with it. There was so a then... bee with a pile of poo in its bum. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of these decoy deer they have? I'm not sure if these are 3D printed. In fact, I think they are kind of made by engineers and right. by, by sort of hunting experts. But this is another way of luring poachers. So this happens in Washington State and various different bits of the USA because finding poachers is unbelievably hard to do because what you need is you need a wild animal and a poacher and a law enforcement officer all to be in the same place at the same time, <laughs> which is really hard. It's a nightmare. So they've started making these dummy deer and then putting them out in fields and that lures the poachers to mm. them. But you also, whenever you put the deer out, you just have a you know a wildlife officer who sits near it and waits for someone to pop up and shoot it. And they've made them so good that they can now turn their heads, these fake animals, or lift their legs. Nice. Yeah, and so a deer costs about 3000 to make, $3,000 to produce, mm. right? Because you need a, an animal skin and you need some mechanics. So you need it. to kill a deer first. <laughs> <laughs> so you kill the deer to and you get, the, yeah, yeah, get exactly. the skin off it. Yeah. You hire a poacher to yeah. kill you a deer. <laughs> but once you've got that in place, you can make $30,000 in fines, finding poachers. Oh. Yeah, there was one where they put it out and within five minutes a poacher turned up and tried to shoot it. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I was thinking, how do you guarantee a poacher is going to find it you could be sitting there for weeks well, if you, you put it near a road that's quite helpful <clears> because obviously then they'll see it and they'll they'll you know come they might stop the car and try and have a crack at it if mm. they're not allowed yeah, to yeah. if it's off season or something so yeah and I they love- can be shot a hundred times without breaking some of them really <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's going to make the poacher suspicious yeah. on the 90th gunshot <laughs> that's going to make that um, version of Bambi very long isn't it <laughs> Such a traumatic scene that would be. <laughs> Bambi made by Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love decoy animals. I like all the ways that scientists use them. And I was looking at probably like the most kind of well-known, maybe widely used decoys, the duck decoy. The, mm. the classic oh, hunters yeah. would take, have taken out ducks for hundreds of years because you plant a flock of fake ducks on a pond and then the real ducks flock to it. And so I thought I'd look into this. First of all, I didn't realise how many you had to bring out. So when you went on a duck hunt in, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, yeah. then you wouldn't just take a couple of wooden carved duck decoys. You had to mimic a flock. So on your hunt, you'd take up to 500 <laughs> carved <laughs> 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 it. 500 No ducks. way. <laughs> you've got to plot this massive flock on your pond <laughs> to catch one duck, <laughs> to catch one duck. <laughs> I don't know how they ever made a profit it doesn't make any sense <laughs> 
<laughs> to, be, to be wow. fair, if I was a duck and I saw a party with 500 friends, no? I'd immediately want to join it. Yeah. Exactly. And then you also had to have live decoy ducks with the oh, 500. Stop. No. Live decoy. Well, because they had to make the realistic calls. So you'd have 500 quiet ducks uh, made of wood. And then you'd have to have a couple of live ones that they keep on a lead, sort of in amongst them to make the noise. This all sounds untrue doesn't it it's pretty, it's pretty sinister as well for the two ducks in the middle of these 500 yeah. dummies luring their mates to yeah. their deaths yeah that's incredible it's a rough gig uh we should wrap up soon right okay. um just a quick thing on turtles tortoises mm. oh, yeah. did you guys read that diego the hood island tortoise has retired from shagging finally and <laughs> finally this is this <laughs> Recent news. Uh, this is this year. So Diego is a Hood Island tortoise and they were tortoises who in the 1960s, they realised that there were only three males left and only about a dozen females left on a Galapagos island. And so they started a breeding programme. So this is about 50 years ago. And so they had these three tortoises and they tried to make them mate. And Diego has mated and he's now produced about 800 offspring. Wow. And this other one, uh, even better than him, has produced about 1,200 offspring. Whoa. The third one just didn't do any. <laughs> it was just really shit. And uh, Diego's just retired and he's hit the headlines. And I'm, I find him really interesting because, first of all, like, well done him. He's shagged all these tortoises. He's repopulated the Galapagos with this type of tortoise. But also, he's super famous. And the one who's done more shagging and is still going is not that famous. And I was reading an interview with one of the professors who works on it. <laughs> mm. And he was speculating. He was saying, so the other one who's actually sired 60%, mm. he's called E5, so not as good a name. Um, no. And the shit one was called E3, and so a bit rubbish. And also apparently is more reserved and less charismatic. <laughs> and- <laughs> Well, Diego is also an exhibitionist, which you probably would expect with a name as well. So he shags very loudly and very aggressively and does it in the daytime so you can see him. Whereas E5, sort of, no one's really seen him mating very much. They think maybe he does it at night and he's a bit quiet about it. And so he's just apparently not as big a personality. <laughs> and we know, the only reason we know is they did a paternity test on every single wow. of the new, yeah, tortoises. Amazing. 2,000 paternity tests. Amazing yeah. episode of the Jeremy Kyle show. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be showing the results for the next four seasons of this show. <laughs> they start moving towards each other really slowly to have a fight. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James, at James Harkin, Andy, at Andrew Hunter M. And Chazinski. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep. You can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com. It's our website. We have all of our previous episodes up there. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.